Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does, they charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Ad Lloyd. Griefcast is a place to talk, share, and laugh about the peculiar human process of death and grief. Each week, I talk to a different person about their experiences of grief and death as we remember someone that they have lost along the way, whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club. Welcome to Griefcast. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're having an okay week, despite the dark and the cold and the wet that we are currently having in England. Maybe you're listening somewhere where it's nicer. Also, apologies, I always talk about the weather. <laughs> I don't know why. It's a grief podcast, Carriad. Um, I just want to let you know that this is our penultimate episode of this season. Uh, so we'll have one more episode next week and then we're going to have a Christmas break and we probably will be off for January as well because I normally do that just to have some time to think um so thank you so much if you've been listening and if you have enjoyed the series uh i don't ask for much from you guys but if you would like to rate or review or subscribe that would make a huge difference to the show if you've done it already thank you very much have a gold chocolate coin this week i'm talking to a man who barely needs any instruction you definitely know him and his brilliant work he's a stand-up he's a tv presenter he's a writer he's a brand new book out called before and laughter it is of course the incredible Jimmy Carr. Uh, Jimmy is an award-winning comedian. He's been the long-running host of 8 Out of 10 Cats Does Countdown. He's got a Netflix special coming up. And he has, as I said, a brand new book called Before and Laughter, which is out now, which is brilliant. And it's kind of a mix of memoir and self-help. It might not be what you expect. It's not just like a classic celebrity memoir. It is him talking about how he became a comedian and how it helped him with his life and with his mental health. Um, I was so honoured that Jimmy came to talk to me. We talk about in the show a Spotify playlist of grief songs, which Jimmy has done. So if you head to Spotify and go to Griefcast, you can find this playlist. Now, we've tried to make it that I can add songs to it, but we can't. I can't figure out how to do it. Uh, If you know how to make it possible that me and Jimmy can organize this playlist, please let me know. Um, But if you search Griefcast on Spotify, you will find Jimmy's list of songs that he recommends listening to when you're feeling just a bit rubbish and you want to cry. Jimmy came in to talk to me about two griefs that he'd experienced. His friend and comedian, Sean Locke, 
who passed away very recently, and his mum, Nora, who passed away when he was in his 20s. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm here today with... I think he's hit national treasure. I think. Very, I think oh, recently. I'm not even close to national treasure. <laughs> I'm, I'm 10 years out. Oh, I'm 10 years out. Okay. Oh, come on. Okay. Come on. Not even close, but that's so sweet of you to say. That's the best opening ever, but so uh, wrong. It's pre- like saying, well, I, I think we can agree, international sex symbol. Yeah, no, <laughs> but such a nice thing to say. I, I was willing to let it go for a second. Pre-treasure? pre-treasure like a pre like prequel like we know it's going to happen it just you're too young for it to be you're too young to be on children need like definitely on children you know and it's like oh i think i think national treasure i think i'm more of a knickknack i'm more of a national knickknack yeah i'm like i'm definitely i'm on the mantelpiece and if i got broken i'm sure some people would be upset but i don't (laughs) think national treasure it's not like yeah mom's not going to be heartbroken if this one goes no, but if, yeah, it's a little bit more time and mum will be. Do you know what I mean? Like, because then yeah. they'll be like, and then the kids will be like, who's that? And like, oh, Jimmy used to host eight out of ten cats does cat that. You won't remember. But everybody watched it. Yeah, you're not quite at that stage. I guess because it's still on, aren't you? National Treasure is normally like their greatest time is behind them. Anyway, it's stand-up comedian and writer Jimmy Carr, everybody. <laughs> I feel like for a second there, we got ahead of ourselves on Griefcast to <laughs> yeah, my we did, didn't we? And how... <laughs> How I will be remembered, which which will be kind of a little. Oh, you won't remember. He used to be. He used to do a thing on the telly, <laughs> which is quite nice that comedy rots as well. I think a lot of people spend too much time thinking about their legacy, and it, yes. it slows it slows people down. And they kind of they think, oh, I've got to do this tremendous piece of work that's of value over a long term. You just go, just be an entertainer, just enjoy yeah. it for now. Well, don't you comedy think so? rots. I remember, like, when I was a kid, like, Bob Monkhouse just being everywhere and not particularly, like, you know, just like, oh, yeah, he's just on the telly. And then when he did die, it was like, oh, he was great. But he felt like he didn't have to draw attention to himself at the time to be like, this is my legacy. He just did lots of brilliant things. And then when he did go, everyone was like, wow, look at all those tiny, brilliant, all those lots of these things, like you said, rather than doing... Well, I mean, I've I've literally just been through that. I've just been through that with Sean, where yeah, no course. one knew, yes, no one knew Sean example. Locke was ill. Uh, and, and then suddenly, uh, it was kind of an... Obviously, we knew it was coming. And it was that... It's that weird thing. I'm sure you've talked about this a lot on the show. The idea that grief, you know that it's coming. You know a friend mm. is very, very ill, and you know... And that you're sort of stealing yourself for it, and you're kind of thinking, right, okay, I know he's going to die... And that's okay. And he's spending time with his family and his loved ones, and he's 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 all right. And he's had such a he's such a funny bloke. And you're trying to think of all these positive things. And then when you get the news that morning, mm. it's just like flooring you. And it's it's an odd thing where you go like the 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 head and the heart are very different. And in your head and the logic of okay, well I knew that was coming and I was ready for it, and that, no one is ready for it. And you don't know quite how it's going to affect you. And that legacy thing of going, the thing that was really beautiful about it was it happened. And then suddenly I was kind of looking at my phone and within like 10 minutes, someone had like posted Sean's best bits. And it was yeah. it was uh, me doing my crazy mani- maniacal laugh and crying with Sean on the TV and watching these kind of moments. And then there was so many of them. And then there was this kind of outpouring of people going, oh, he actually meant loads to me. Because it felt like he never, I felt like he never reached his full potential in terms yeah, of like, there's a lot yeah. of people I spoke to afterwards that never really, never saw Sean live. Yeah. And, you know, he wasn't, I mean, he didn't talk a lot, but like, it feels like he was quite an important comic to an awful lot of people. And, you know, in a very, a very you know, 
complex, interesting character as well. I mean, you know, to... I, I kind of didn't realise, I'm such a dummy, I didn't realise I was sort of in a double act for 15 years. Yeah, I read you, I read that you said that at the time and I was, I thought it was very poignant because I thought, yeah, I didn't realise that either, but he was. Like, when, as soon as you said it, I was like, oh yeah, that is what that dynamic was. But because there's, you're not standing next to each other in front of a red velvet curtain, you know, your brain doesn't think, oh right, that's what's going on. And Sean's It's a really... an interesting thing, the, the panel show, because it's like, yeah. a, it's a way of presenting stand-up comedy and mm. variety that that absolutely kind of hides it like you, yeah. you don't you don't think oh yeah oh you never see him do stand-up on tv yeah you do that's that's yeah. what a panel show is you're doing jokes down the barrel and you're chatting and you're doing discursive stuff and having opinions and it's exactly stand-up but it's dressed up just enough so people can kind of go well this is this is not stand-up it's a different thing the other thing about sean that i i sort of um i talked about was how how brilliant he was as a how unique as a character because he was sort of a um his whole persona, his way of carrying himself, like, you know that thing that people talk about, oh, 95% of communication is non-verbal. Yeah, yeah. For me, Sean's thing was like, because he looked like he, he'd come to fix the boiler, his whole... <laughs> yes. every, like, Sean turned up at your front door right now, walked in the door and went, I'm here to actually, I've got to take the... The, the boiler's got to be replaced. You'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, yeah, yeah, come in, okay. I'll make you a cup of tea with five sugars. You look yeah. like a working man. So when he was doing this very delicate flight of fancy, everything was a juxtaposition to the almost like the setup was his demeanor, and yes, the punchline yes. was the was yeah. was every kind of fun. It like it's like that thing with like sometimes like people do things really interesting in comedy. Like uh, I always think Joe Wilkinson. Everything oh, he yes. says, everything he says is a setup to the punchline, which is a look. Yeah. <laughs> It's like it's interesting. Like Sean had that thing where everything, like the setup was okay. I'm this bloke, and then suddenly, I don't know. He was, um, I, I, you know, for me as well. He was kind of a weirdly a father figure. He was only mm. like ten years older than me, but it felt like he was a slightly different generation. It was kind of him, Joe Brand, Bill Bailey were absolutely the. They were like the the six formers, and you were on your first day at yeah, school. They were yeah. like the. The, the, uh, yeah, heavyweight, proper, actual touring comics. Like they could do it all, and. I, I don't know, I just, I I thought, uh, I really sort of admired him and looked up to him. And, you know, obviously when, you know, when when, when someone dies like that, you, you're left bereft. But also mm. there's this lovely thing now where you're bereft, but also there's the, the these memories where you've got these videos. Yeah. I mean, one, of the, one of, I think, the worst things about grief is you forget what someone's face looked like. And their voice as well. Like, you can't remember the sound of their voice. You can't forget how they walked into a room. Like, all this stuff that you think, oh, I'll never forget that, just vanishes. And, yeah, the fact when a comic goes or anybody who is in the public eye, there is this wealth of memories that you can dip into. And, Sean, like you said, the day that he died when there was just all these clips and then people start talking about 15 stories high, which I loved when I was at university. I loved so much. And I was like, wow, these people haven't seen this show. Like, they don't know that this amazing sitcom existed that he did and then yeah it sort of gives you a place to I guess spend time with them doesn't it yeah I suppose that that thing of also um to to market like I mm. think we're we're very bad at um I'm an atheist I'm I'm not a, a religious man but I was and I'm very taken with the fact that we're you know religion does it better yeah religion's yeah. better than our world like it's it's better like our secular world we've got sort of no way of there's no there's no ritual yeah. in our world so you get things like I mean I think I sort of think things like the the you know the 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 compulsion to turn on and off the light switch a million times and to you know to to suffer that with that kind of neurosis is basically people searching for ritual mm. but but without faith 
Yeah, it's like yeah, they just yeah. want the they want something to. It's like the rosary or whatever that kind of obsessive compulsive. Yeah, definitely. I think. Yeah, I'm. I'm not particularly religious. I was a bit as a child, but um, my, my I was brought up like Church of England, so it wasn't even that much rituals. You know, what I mean, it was very CV, like CV, Christmas, yeah. Christmas and Easter, isn't it? Exactly. It's not even, that's, oh yeah, that's absolutely. not. That's not even the God I don't believe in. <laughs> but you do get some really great presents and chocolate midway through spring, which is welcome. Um, and yeah, I think we've talked about this on the show as well, like what religion, the reason religion is, you know, works. It said it's for thousands of years. They've understood how, how, where people need a place to put their emotions. And even the idea of like a place to light a candle, a gravestone to visit, like all these things that, like you said, secular life is now left with of going oh i don't I, quite have the system that i need to do that but i don't know why i need to do that it's it's, it's i posted a um i posted a song on uh, on the day sean died because i i find that through music now i find that the thing that gets me um in touch with my emotions and the thing that makes me cry more than anything else is music i find mm. that there's just something about music that kind of um almost kind of proustian it's like it's not so much a smell or a taste of a biscuit in a cafe it's going to be music for me that does it and i posted a warren zevon song on the day sean died which was is called um actually the full story of the song is fairly heartbreaking in and of itself which seems appropriate for grief cast because yes warren's warren zevon's the guy that sang werewolf werewolves of london right like okay. you know the piano song that's in it's in color of money it's like yeah, you'd know yeah, it if yeah. you heard it it's a great song but he's a pretty big singer songwriter and he wrote this song called Keep Me In Your Heart For A While, which I thought was kind of such a beautiful song about death. He was dying at the time. He was about kind of a couple of months out uh, from death. And he, there's his, he does it on... Le- so it's just basically when you're walking around the house, keep me in your heart for a while. Just think of me. Uh, and it's just such a beautiful thing about what grief ends up being. Like yeah. it's just... It kind of speaks to that thing of you die twice. You die when you die and you die the last time someone says your name. Mm. And the idea that, you know, with, with someone like Sean and you, you've got this, these wonderful little clips, these little nuggets of his brilliance that live on and that people still talk about. And it's been very nice, actually. I've been sort of out on tour and people sort of come up and sort of this young, really young guy sort of came up to me and just went, like yesterday in Manchester, just came up and went, oh, I'm really sorry for your trouble. And it was such a lovely thing, like a couple of months out to go, yeah, I'm still feeling it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. It's probably, that's the thing, especially with work. Like, I think that's, it's a weird place of grief, isn't it? Like cause a work colleague, like no one, there's no like, sorry for your loss for your work colleague card. But actually that's somebody who, who's in your life in such a way. And especially with panel shows or entertainment or comedy, it, it, it's, you know, it's not like you work in an office with them. It's like you're on school trips with them permanently. Uh, like they become like people know. at the school. I got told the thing, this is only maybe five, six years ago, but I had a friend die and uh, they said, if you feel it, uh, my friend said, basically, if you feel it, it's real. Yes. yeah. And I went, okay, that's interesting because Mm. I I always had like a view in my head of like an idea, like almost like a a graph of like how upset you should be in accordance with someone's death. Yeah. And you kind of go, well, I've known that person since junior school. (laughs) And so... When they died tragically of of cancer, I should have been this More, this yeah. upset. And that person was a work colleague, and we're both blokes, and maybe that's a different dynamic. Mm. And that person was my gr- nana or whatever. You've got like a almost well, like they a, call it the grief a, hierarchy. A scorecard is what they call it. Yeah. Like, and, and oh, the- I, I've never heard the term, but the 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 idea that that's like I remember going to my friend. It was A. A. Gill, who was a really good friend of mine, and again another kind of father figure in my life. Just a very you know he's a. And and I remember being at the funeral and being in a puddle. I mean, just being 
Like I couldn't, I was like sobbing in a way that mm. is, didn't feel, I remember AA's kids looking at me going, the fuck is this, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's, this guy's fucking, he's out of his mind. Uh, and just, and, and I felt like, no, that was appropriate. That's, yeah. you know, that lovely phrase that grief is the price we pay for love. Mm. And the idea that, no, if you love someone, if you really connected with them, if you love them and they're gone, then it's kind of, it's, it's like you kind of, you, you kind of get it back in a, not to sound, not to quote the Beatles, but you know, <laughs> the, no, the, it, the love you give is equal to the love you, yeah, yeah. you take. Well, yeah, it was, it's called the grief hierarchy and, and a lot of what any kind of grief therapy teaches is that there isn't one but that everybody thinks there's one so everybody thinks like oh you know if someone's dog dies they're like oh I shouldn't be so upset but Michael Legg the stand-up came on and talking about his dog and he was saying that his dog died at the same time as his aunt and he was like look I was very sad my aunt died but I live with my dog my dog greeted me every single morning every time I had a bad gig that dog put his head on my lap. My aunt didn't do that. <laughs> he was like, I loved her, but this was a different dynamic and I'm allowed to mourn everything, that person. Everything about that story is Michael Legg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, like, I think if you told me that story without the name, I could have got to Michael Legg. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's perfect. But That's I perfect. do think... No, I, I really you know, relate to that as well because hmm. the thing about pets as well, as opposed to like uh, teaching kids about death is kind of the cliche. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, when Nana dies, we're going to flush her. Um, the... <laughs> But the, but the, I think more than that is like it, it is that thing of like what they what they bring up in us because every time yeah. grief comes up, there's all, there's the obvious thing of we go, oh, I'm going to die someday. Yeah, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna. So and you go back through, and every time grief comes, it's like an old friend, and yeah. it reminds you of everyone else that died, mm. and that you'll die at some stage, and if you've ever had kind of a brush with that, it kind of reminds you, and. It's, you know, so it's, I think when pets die, it's like, I remember my, we had a cat for like 20 years, um, uh, Cookie, and when Cookie died, and it was, it was such a genuinely beautiful experience of like, the vet came to our house, wow and and she was put down in the, in the garden with us, with our hands on her, and it was like, it was oh. a really beautiful thing, and it was like, I was absolutely destroyed by it. Yeah. Uh, because it was, it, you know, it meant so much, it was like, it was the the animal was like the physical manifestation of home yeah, because yeah, yes. before you get dogs and cats, it's just a fucking house. <laughs> yeah. They call it trans, that's transitional objects. So it's like things, the object or a, or a pet or, you know, something that, that you can almost, you place a meaning onto, you know, that like the, the dog becomes, I feel the same way about my partner. <laughs> and that's, I feel now the it's same way about, now it's a home. I feel now the she's same there. I feel the same way about my kid. I just, I really feel like this is, and I tell him every morning, I say, who's a transitional object? Who's my little, tra who's daddy's transitional object? Your daddy's you transitional object. <laughs> That's what's annoying about transitional objects is I don't think you get to choose because I've spoken to so many people who are grieving and they'll be like, I, you know, I don't know why, like I found a shirt or I listened to a piece of music or the dog died. And it's like, you don't get a say on what your subconscious has decided means home, means hope, means good. You know what I mean? And then suddenly you're in floods and you're like, oh, yeah. I see. This is, this is about that. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, I think, as well with Sean that... Um, it was so again this this era of like public grief as well, and I, and I was surprised at like how many people were so public about it. like you said in a way of, you know you you I I met Sean and he was brilliant and you knew he was a very talented person, but it was so nice to sort of see like wow he how many people how many people comics do affect without realizing you know without if you'd well, ask Sean oh do you think everyone is going to be upset when you die I don't know if his answer would have been like oh there'll be this outpouring. 
I think I know what his answer would have been. <laughs> would have been some, some, an expletive and a tut. Yeah. Um, the, the, um, I, saw, I saw something the other day, actually. Someone stopped me in a... I was in a Starbucks getting a coffee, and this very nice lad in Manchester that was serving me went, oh, all right, uh, your mate, mate Sean. Just went, your mate Sean. He's like a guy from... I think he was like Eastern European, but like really lovely bloke. Just went, your mate Sean. I'm Chelsea. And I went, all right. And he went, I drink in the same pub as Sean. Look at this. And in the pub where Sean used to drink, they've put up a blue plaque oh. inside the pub <laughs> above the table. And I was like, I, I fucking melted in a Starbucks just oh going, oh, man, God. that is so classy that yeah. the, 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 in, the intercity firm have clearly had a whip round and gone, <laughs> right, OK, we're, we're spending less on razor blades this week and we need to build a, a lovely blue plaque for our Sean. I think that's, that's it's a weird thing where I do think comics connect in an odd way because... Yeah. When you think about family and friends, like you think about the good times and it's when you laugh together. And with comics, like we laugh with people. So there's a weird intimacy to, I'll often like get into conversations with people. I mean, partly what I like about this podcast is it's just, there's no fucking small talk. You're straight in. (laughs) Right. Who's dead? Who's dead? What happened? It's, yeah. But like, it's that thing where you go, there's an intimacy to laughing together where people feel kind of connected. So I think a lot of people felt very connected to Sean because they laughed a lot with him. I think they, you know. And if if that comic speaks to you, it's like that's my that's my shit. That's he's my guy. Yeah, I like yeah. it. Or that or that thing when someone comes up and kind of goes, "Oh, my dad really loved him." Yeah. That was like, and that's the thing they bonded over. They really like felt like they had a thing in common. Yeah, it's it's true, isn't it? My um my dad took me to see Harry Hill when I was fourteen, um because he was obsessed with Spike Milligan and he was like, this guy's just like Spike Milligan, and he took me to see him. At, was that uh, was that was that Pub International? Was it? I remember seeing Pub International like when, uh, when before those guys. It was Harry yeah. Hill and Al Murray, and they toured like pubs. I mean, literally, they, they oh, played no. the back room of I our local. It was when he was doing Stew for the Cat. He had Stew for the Cat, maybe. Oh, yeah, okay, all right, a little bit later, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's pretty good, though. Pretty good talk. But, like, when I saw, when I met Harry years, years later, I I couldn't quite speak. And everyone was talking to him, being, like, normal comics. And obviously impressed because it's Harry Hill. But I was like, you're yeah. my dad's comic. Like, and I no, eventually I'm, I'm said it. I'm a bit like that with Harry. He's, yeah. he's incredible. He's incredible. And that thing of, like, the transgenerational thing of, like, yeah. going, look, your, your dad was, like, into this. And it's always a little bit special that you've... Like that thing that you share. Yeah. It's like, yeah I think yeah. a lot of people get it from like football teams. It's not it's not my thing, but that yeah, thing yeah. of like sharing something we go, Oh, we both love this thing. You get football or stand up, don't you? <laughs> you get the two options. Yeah. So what was your what was your first big grief, Jimmy, then if we go back, because we're talking more about like uh, you know, more recent griefs, but what was one that you know, the first time you were like, Oh, I well, see my my mother's death was the thing that uh, I think changed my life I think in terms of going um uh, like I I mean I've just kind of written the biography so obviously I've spent a lot of time kind of going back and thinking about this Mm. and and the biography really came out of you you know that that amazing book um uh, this is gonna hurt oh yeah yeah Adam Kay's one yeah so Adam Kay called me about two or three weeks into the pandemic and obviously everyone's just sitting at home and went oh we're doing some charity book for the NHS and we're all going to write about our experience with the NHS and would you write a piece and I immediately went yeah no but you know I knew exactly what I was going to write. I'll write about my mother dying in Guys in St. Thomas's. Mm. I wrote this little piece and then the book kind of came out of that. And it was, oh. it's a strange thing where I think sort of memory and speed, there's a, there's a really lovely thing written by, I think, Milan Kundra called Slowness about how memory and speed are inversely proportionate. How we, we basically, when we slow down, we remember more. Mm. 
And often there's this thing where, you know, so in the pandemic, I, I slow down. Suddenly my frenetic, different every day, mm. you know, touring all the time, life slowed down. And then remembering my, my mother's death and what I sort of, it was such a a huge turning point for me in terms of what the the gift it gave me uh, and also the, the 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 sadness of that the idea that the whole of my childhood I'd, I'd lived in fear of her dying mm. and then when she died it felt like it was suddenly like the worst thing had happened yeah and it was strangely freeing strangely like you know I feel like there's a degree of guilt as well that you mm. kind of go right I don't give a. I sort of don't give a fuck now. Yeah. Um. I kind of coincided with taking a lot of chances. Because what else? What else can hurt you? Once, once the worst thing that you thought, oh my god, if that happens, what will I do? And it happens, and you're still standing, and then you're like, wow. Well, I guess I don't have the th- the massive th- the massive weight to worry about. It's dropped on me. So well, it's what, very. How it's very. I mean, can... I, you know, as I say, I'm not a religious person, but the 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 story of Christ, as I understand it, is what remains when everything else is burnt away yeah that's the that's the uh, the the metaphor so it's like what what remains on that when everything is burnt away and you go that's the worst thing so it really sort of ties into my childhood i was about maybe i was i was very close to my mother like um i think the psych- psychiatrist would call it enmeshed yeah i read that in your a, book um, you're like you're you're sort of codependent yeah. enmeshed which I thought you wrote very honestly about, which is, is helpful because sometimes yeah, you I mean, read it's... people's books and you're like, you should admit how close, <laughs> how enmeshed you were. Yeah, well, it was, I think it came out of two things, really. I think it came out of, I had melangitis when I was three. So oh, I very God. nearly died when yeah. I was three. So my first memory is like a spinal tap. Wow. Uh, and being in hospital and being around people that were dealing with a, a child that was dying and, and kind of, there's something you don't understand that on one level but on another level I think you probably do yeah um so I remember that and then I remember and then now I'm a parent I kind of go oh god I mean how how overprotective and yeah. uh, would you be if your child nearly went mm. how how much would that affect things and then my my mother was a twin Sean her uh her brother um uh, died when when I was maybe four or five. Oh my goodness and I remember her going to Ireland to the funeral like we didn't go and uh, my, my father sort of had to take care of us for a couple of days and uh, it being just awful because you have no sense of time when you're a yeah. child you just think oh I understand someone's gone and people are trying to explain to me they're gone gone and she's gone mm. as far as I could see yeah and yeah. so there was there was kind of a you know you're very Enmeshed with that, so those those kind of things of like those, you know, when you look back on your life and you kind of go, all right, why was I sort of so close to my mother? Why did it mean so much? I mean, it's always that hierarchy of grief. You mm. go, well, your mum, your kind of the opposite sex parent is often the one that's the a very tricky thing to 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 get over. Yeah, uh, yeah. And it and it it certainly was. So, how old were you when she died? I was 26, maybe 25, 26. 26. 2001, it was just before oh, wow. 9-11. Oh, yeah. So yeah. I remember like on the, on the day of the funeral, there was like an international day of mourning for, uh, for 9-11. Oh, my so God. It, was just, it, it happened just before, which I think she would have thought was very appropriate. Everyone was in black. <laughs> so like, we just looked like, we looked like we were like, oh, these guys really, these guys really in solidarity with the Americans today. Taking it very seriously. Um, yeah. And how, was she ill for a long time? I mean, I felt like that was old. I felt like, yeah. because it felt old to me because my, uh, my younger brother was only 14. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's tough. So it felt to me like, or no, he was younger than that. Maybe he was 12. Yeah, anyway, it was like, he was crazy young. So it mm. felt like, I'm like, 
I'm, I'm the grown, grown up. up. This yeah, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. got to deal. With, but relatively, it felt like I was old. But then you look back and you just go, "Oh my god, it's just we're we're all kids." Yeah, yeah. And I think you are really till grief slaps you in the face. You know what I mean? Because that is part of grief's process. Is it kind of goes? This is what being a grown up looks like. It looks like knowing people die and understand really understanding it. You know what forever means. What it means to lose somebody. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a really and the the physical thing of. Um, of grief is interesting like I remember how it hit I remember being there sort of on the day I remember being in the room and the nurses calling us and going uh, I was in there I think that morning or whatever um, actually my older brother was much better at being there the whole time because she was in hospital for about nine months it was it's uh, it was pancreatitis so it's a very it's a very slow way to die mm. very painful slow way to die um, you know and, and, and hats off to the pain management team and you know there's a lot of medics that save people's lives and you go great. I mean, well done. That's obviously that is amazing. But the ones that let people die with dignity and yeah. pain free kind of get no credit. And and you know, there's there's often there's a debate about euthanasia, and you go, I mean, clearly we've always had euthanasia in the yeah. UK. But and it's about pain management. It's about mm. going well. How do we let someone die with a degree of dignity so they're not writhing in agony at the end? Yeah. And it's it's a it's a balance, and um, that you know they they can time it kind of perfectly. I remember she. They, they they said, oh, she's got about five hours, this nurse, very sort of matter-of-factly. I remember someone about about maybe a month into it, she'd been transferred to Guys in St. Thomas's. I remember this doctor saying to me, yeah, she's, you know, like taking me to one side. It wasn't that much older than me and going, she's not going to make it. But, you know, but it's pancreatitis, there'll be false dawns. And absolutely blanking out the conversation. Yeah, and, and yeah. Like, until about a year later, just like going, well, I can't hear that. Yeah, and yeah. then remembering it kind of a year later. And the... Yeah, so the nurse is sort of going, yeah, she's got about five hours. And then my brother's being there and us all being in the room together. And there's something about hearing the... I remember my mother was a nurse and she'd like... She'd often like spoken about like her nursing days and like the, the death rattle. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 those last breaths and the warmth draining from her hands. Like you're holding her hand and it's going cold. Mm. It's, it's, it's kind of the early stages of, you know, it's, it's kind of rigor mortis is already kind of... Mm. It's, it's on them before they've they've died and it's a really um i don't know how i would describe it very mammalian it's almost like you really feel sort of like oh, it's like an animal you feel yeah. like there's a oh I, I absolutely understand what's happening here and mm. i would i would say that we as a society have maybe made a mistake by hiding death away of letting professionals deal with it i think being in a room with someone when they die is a- absolutely what you should do not mm. because it's easy but because it's good for them and yeah. it's good for you and you'll want someone there to hold your hand you'll want someone there at the end you know it's it's a uh, it's it's you know it's painful but it's 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 meaningful and i think it probably made the grieving process i feel so much empathy with people that get a phone call and go yeah your mom's died in a car crash oh, God, and there's yeah, nothing left yeah, yeah. and you go what well, you never got to yeah. that saying goodbye thing mm. is so valuable I know, and it, you know, so it does. Uh, you know, you can't. You talk about counting your blessings. I think it does make things just a little bit easier. Mm. Yeah, we talked about that a lot on the show because there are sort of two camps, which is the. Oh well, I'll, the, I'm sorry. I'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> we've, yeah we kind of done yeah we've doing. done this uh so next next death no i just went there's like there's the people who lost someone very instantly and then the people who've watched someone in pain and neither is they're not again it's no hierarchy nothing's better so my dad was um had pancreatic cancer and was you know ill for three months and 
you know, I know I've spoken to people who've lost people to heart attacks who are like, oh, you know, you've got to say goodbye. And you're like, yeah, but you're watching someone in pain. Uh, you know, so you, you don't, like, it's, yeah. both rooms are awful. I think I, I would say, like, <clears throat> you know, in the in in the nine months when my mother was in that guys in St. Thomas's, I'd say she maybe had a couple, you know, a handful of hours of consciousness yeah. in that time wow. while she wasn't in, in pain. So it's, it really is watching someone really kind of battling. Yeah. Um, and desperate to hang on. You're desperate to hang on, you know, with a young son and, uh, you know, wanting to wanting to live, uh, which and is, I, I, think, I think it's also that thing of like when, when there's kids involved, mm. I mean, ah, oh, it's yeah. just too much. It's, it's, we don't talk about that enough, almost, I think, as well, of like that people do, like you said, and obviously not everyone, can, this doesn't happen for everybody, but like you said, if people don't want to die, I lost a friend years ago, a, a comedian friend and he was just one of those people like this Canadian just like full of life and he had cancer for so long and the doctors kept saying he's he just will not die even though his body is literally falling to pieces and we all said it was like he his spirit did not want to go and it was you know eventually he did but the doctors were all like we thought he had like two months and he lived for two years and there's, there's, there's an interesting there's a really interesting not to sound like a, a dirty <laughs> old hippie but there's a really interesting study that they did about telling people and not mm, telling people. Yes. Like yeah, if you yeah. tell someone you've got a year to live, they sort of statistically sort of die within a year. There's something yeah. kind of psychological that goes right. Well, then I'll let go. Whereas if you go look, it's life limiting. It's a much healthier thing to tell people. Yeah, yeah. I've had friends that have had relatives sort of go, oh, they they're going to die, and they've gone, well, don't give them a time. Yeah, that's what happened with my Let's dad. Just see actually, how it goes. they refused to get. My mum was like, how long have we got? And they were like, we don't know. She they refused, and she was like, can you just give me rough? Like. And they were like, well, you never know. I'm trying to plan a holiday. Yeah, yeah. Well, my dad was. My dad was like, oh, I think we'll be fine. And we were all like, it doesn't look great. Um, but yeah, I think being with them. The other thing I read a lot of is if you if you can, obviously not everyone else, everyone can be with them. But if you can, it does help the grieving process. Because something in that mammalian brain that you said, to see someone die, that goes in. Yeah. And your brain is like, okay, they have gone. Whereas if you don't, I think it, your brain is always like, but are they dead? Yeah. Even if well, you I know. Well, I wonder as well, I don't know if anyone, anyone's written anything about this, but I wonder how different it was before photography. I mean, uh, never mind yeah, moving yeah. images. But I wonder how it was 150 years ago when, when someone died, you, they faded from your memory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because, you know, the, the way that my mother spoke and the way I can vaguely remember, but it's like, it's it's faded, you know, mm. a little bit. And sometimes you'll get like a little glimpse of it and it really warm your heart. But it's it's that thing. I wonder how different it was when, when p- things faded kind of more naturally. You couldn't remember them. Like the idea that you've now got a picture of someone in their prime that's yeah. on the mantelpiece that you see every day. I wonder, does that... Does that break your heart just a little bit more? Mm. Yeah, I'm sorry. I hate to say, we when we talked about this previously. <laughs> not that it's not interesting; it's fascinating. Is that you're in the camp that I am slightly of what we call analog grievers? So my dad died in 1998. So we're slightly like pre there being like a Twitter profile or like videos of them or having a phone full of photos and people who are digital grievers, they have like, you know, hundreds of text messages, voicemails they can go through. And I remember the first time I met someone who was like, oh, well, I've got like voicemails saved. I was like, what? Like that to me, because I'd come from the pre-digital age is like, oh my, and at first I was like, oh my God, I don't have that. I'd have to like, you know, dig out a VHS of my dad, a go-karting, my brother's go-karting birthday. But then again, I was like, actually, I'm quite glad that I don't have 
this internet to like delve into of memories because it's kind of yeah because I think you'd feel you'd feel guilty for not delving into yeah, it yeah yeah in a weird yeah. way or like I'm not spending enough time with the like I, I mean I don't know where you stand on on like visiting graves and things it's a it's a it's a weird one where you kind of go is there a duty to go and mm. visit a grave or something I don't feel like my mother lives in a grave I don't yeah. feel like there's anything there I don't feel any connect to that space Stephen Mangan said that actually because his family are Irish Catholics and and he was saying we were talking about graves and he was like she only went there once <laughs> he was like I don't feel like it's somewhere she went a lot but when he was like but when we go back to that Ireland that is a great that is a great line it's a good it? line I mean, isn't because how mental would it be if she hadn't how yeah. mental would it be if she'd like gone well no she goes there most days she's really into that that big hole she really <laughs> loves that big hole it's like her happy place it's a happy place so of course when they said where are you going to bury her we were like the big hole she always visits like where else can we go um, and he was saying when he goes back to Ireland and you know where his parents are from that feels like they're there and my, uh, we don't have a grave he was cremated and we spread the ashes so I don't really have that I don't have any guilt about visiting somewhere but I do have a sense you should, of I think people should I think the smart thing to do would be to spread the ashes somewhere that you kind of have to go anywhere and yeah. it's not a great place like the tip would be a good place to go <laughs> I know I know I know it's now called the recycling center, but it's there's there's a kind of if you sp- sprinkle the ashes at the recycling center, and then mm. but then when you do have to go, look, we've got a bunch of cardboard. We need to, you know, come on, we have to get rid of this. It's an annoying. This is Sunday morning killed. Yeah. But at least you get to visit your family. Yeah. At the same time, that feels appropriate. Maybe we should start a campaign. <laughs> your nearest... It's the recycling center for everything. <laughs> for everything. <laughs> so you can visit them. Next to the the dump, the tip, and then the like the battery. Drop or like off. the big, maybe maybe the big Tesco's. Yeah, or the the big, the, the the, big twenty four hour. Yeah, one. the nice Waitrose. If you if you've done yeah. well, <laughs> people will be fighting <laughs> to get near the nice Waitrose. So sad they had to go to Lidl because there just was no room in the nice Waitrose. I wonder. I wonder what the uh, yeah the thing that the sort of graves and how you remember kind of. I I sort of think the you know they get sort of cliche, but kind of lives on in your heart sort of thing. The place doesn't mean anything mm. to me and the the idea of um I mean I kind of lost my faith about maybe a year and a half before my mother died which was so fucking inconvenient I was like that's bad timing <laughs> it really is a terrible piece of timing yeah. and I'm normally I'm famed for my good timing but the <laughs> it really felt like it was like oh man yeah. the one time you need a little bit of um and I think I'd slightly, I think when you lose your faith as well, there's a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater, certainly initially, yeah, to sort yeah. of go, right, well, I don't believe in that. And therefore, there's no spirituality or there's nothing more Everything, than. Yeah. And actually, uh, you know, the, I find the whole thing extraordinary. The whole, you know, being alive is extraordinary. Mm. Uh, just because you don't have a religious faith doesn't mean you kind of lose everything. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. So it's 2001, so what anniversary, like how many years are you up to? Because I'm so bad at math, sorry. Well, it's, it's, I don't really have to think about it. They do a 9-11 uh, <laughs> documentary every year and I go, oh yeah, my mum died. So my mum didn't die in 9-11, but she died kind of, you know, about five days before, or oh, no, no, a week wow. before. Um, so there's a weird kind of... Um, yeah, it's strange, so you're constantly, like somebody will kind of, that will all, whenever that's discussed, your brain will be like, oh, that's the week before my mum died, like... Yeah, I get. I mean, I get like uh, there's there's maybe um, four or five of my friends. My my mother was very. She was kind of an extraordinary woman. She was. Um, what was her name? Sorry, incredi- we should say because we always say their names. Uh, Nora Mary Lawler Nora. Uh, would have been her full name. Uh, Nay Nay Lawler. Um, so Nora, uh, and she was uh, very a sort of larger than life character, hilarious limerick woman, um, beautiful kind of soft spoken Irish accent, worked as a nurse, qualified in the regional lim- limerick and moved over, took the suit, moved over to, to London in the in the early 70s. So I was born in, in like West London, but was very much kind of, you know, immigrant parents. Mm. And you, you always feel a little bit other. And I'm very grateful that they sort of, they did that, they came over here because it's like you feel slightly... I think it's a really good thing for a for a comic to sort of feel like a little bit yeah. other. You <laughs> yeah. feel like I don't quite belong here. We used to go back to to Kilkee, uh, this little coastal town, for our holidays for six weeks every summer, and you'd go over there and be the little British boys, and then and then we'd kind of come back to London and, and have a little Irish accent at the end of the summer, <laughs> and we'd be the little Irish boys, and you'd kind of go, oh, I don't quite. You become kind of aware you're a story you tell yourself, mm. and it's it's um it's nice. She was very funny and. She had sort of an amazing laugh. She had narcolepsy, uh, which I think undiagnosed narcolepsy. So she had narcolepsy and cataplexy. So she would have, you, you ever met someone that makes no noise when they laugh? They just do the weird yeah, kind of bobbly yeah, yeah, head. Yeah, yeah. No noise, but just like a bobbly head. Very annoying, actually, as a comic. I'm, I often <laughs> see people in the crowd with this and go, well, you're not adding any fucking value to yeah, this yeah, evening whatsoever. Yeah, that's not helping. Like, you have, so she had this kind of amazing laugh and, and was, um, and was you know, I, I was very... Uh, very keen on making her laugh throughout my life and I sort of think the thing that unifies comics my little pet theory on comics is that you should sort of look for don't ask them if they're depressed because it's neither here nor there it's just a pleasing irony to talk about the tears of a clown but I think most comics have a sick parent Mm. most comics had a parent that was that needed to be uh and they needed to make the atmosphere okay in their yeah. home they needed to make things okay and they they medicated through humor so whether physically or emotionally my mother was quite she was very funny and very engaged and wonderful but also very depressed mm. and you don't know that when you're a kid you just think yeah I've got home from school and mum's still in her dressing gown I imagine that's just normal isn't it yeah that's just what mums are like and you you have no 
there's a guilt that goes with that where you go, oh, cry, I didn't fucking know. I didn't know. You're just a kid. You're just a kid. Like, you know, kids don't know this stuff. And also, I think, especially at that time, right? Like, we live in this age now where people talk about and say, oh, I'm depressed, I'm antidepressants, but I'm old enough to remember that. That's very new. Like, people did not discuss that. And they would just say, oh, you know, so-and-so's a bit down. Like No, I wrote, wrote like, a. have written a a bit of stand-up about it, about how, uh, like, the euphemisms that we used to Mm. use. Oh, she's not herself. Yeah. She's not herself. She killed. She killed herself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was. She wasn't feeling herself. Yeah, oh, right. Okay. <laughs> She's on lithium. Yeah. What are you talking about? But that could also. Like, I know, like my mum used to say, "Oh, like baby blues. Oh, so and so's got baby blues," and that would r- range from. Oh, you know, she's she. The baby's not sleeping. She's a bit tired too. Oh, the the social had been round because she can't cope. <laughs> like, but it was all yeah. covered under the same, as you said, the same euphemism. Of well, like, it's a, it is it is a weird thing. I don't think we're quite over that now. Like, no, if we no. say, if you say someone's had a nervous breakdown, <clears throat> yeah. what exactly do Does you mean? mean? Yeah, yeah. Because it's very ill-defined. And some yeah. people go, I've had a nervous breakdown because I think they're just more engaged with their emotions and, yeah. and being open. And some people go. No, no, I was fine. I mean, I I didn't talk to anyone for six months and I was like, in, in you know, dark cloud over me. But yeah. yeah, I was fine. You know, I don't think it was a nervous breakdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just busy at work. <laughs> you know, one of those things um, and you just got to get, put your head down, get through it. And I, I think I'm fine now. Yeah, yeah. No, I've never spoken to anyone about it. No, I'm fine. I'm fine. Yeah, those ones I'm always like, ooh, that's going to I wonder with the, the thing with grief as well. The other thing that kind of annoys me, I still do it with my, um, I had it a couple of times recently, actually. I was listening to Phoebe Bridges. Oh, you know yeah, that, yeah, that yeah, singer, yeah. Phoebe Bridges. And she's got this song, I Know the End. And I listened to it, that, and, and she did a cover of Bo Burnham's song, um, That Funny Feeling, which I just thought was magnificent. I, I'd like text my little brother and sent him the song. And we still do a thing of like sending each other songs that we think mum would have liked. Mm. Because music was such sort of a big thing for her of like yeah. going, and still like, there's a weird sense of like missing out on shit. Mm. Like I often feel like when I do something that's terribly fucking showbiz, like have some showbiz party or do something that's like, I don't know, involving royalty or something, you know, something, you know, crazy. Going, I fucking wish mum was here to see this. Yeah, she'd have loved this. This this would be, yeah, she'd have loved this. I find myself doing shit that I kind of go, not even that into this, but I think my mum would have (laughs) dug this. She would have thought this was cool. And you kind of live in a, you're kind of almost living vicariously. Mm. You know, I I felt like there was a, there's a bit of me where I felt much braver after she died. Mm. Because I kind of, suddenly I understood what death was. I understood the clock was ticking. I understood that my life was the only one that I had. I mean, really, the book that I've written is basically sort of this for 300 pages. It's me <laughs> sort of going, go out there and do what you want to do with your life because it, this is fucking it. This is the mm. whole thing. Like, uh, sort of religion does a lot of great things for the community, but it's terrible for the individual. Uh, and it's 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 basically uh, procrastination. It's like don't worry too much about this life. You've got a next one. You fucking haven't. <laughs> Go and do something in this one. Yeah, no, definitely. I think I spoke to um, Felix White about that. He was in the band The Maccabees, and he lost his mum when he was seventeen. And we both talked about that that strange feeling when things you do something that's really cool, and then you're like you just have that sense of oh, but they're not here. Oh, I can't. <clears throat> you can't call them. You know, and it's like the the bittersweetness that enters your life once you've experienced grief. And I actually don't think it's a negative thing. I think we suffer from making, oh, well, being happy is positive, being depressed is negative. Like, it, you know, they're just different feelings. And I don't mind the bittersweetness. I've got used to it, but I've definitely, 
it's definitely something I try to acknowledge a bit more now when I'm in the situation when I'm like, wow, he would have he would have fucking loved this. And my brother's yeah. the same. There's a few things I've done, obviously, <clears throat> not nearly in the range of what you've done, but there's a few things I've done where my brother's oh, gone. Oh, stop it, you. Um, but yeah, yeah there's a few things, things like, where you go, you're, yeah. like a sibling can go, oh my God, they would have loved that. And you're like, I know, right? They would have. Isn't it crazy? This thing I'm doing and there's no yeah, one to Yeah, and call. there's a bit of us that will ever, I think with, with parents especially, it's that thing if you go, you, you forever want to be, you know, I'll forever want to impress my mum. I'll forever yeah, want to yeah. make her, uh, you know, I remember like she used to call me, this is weird, this is so weird, <laughs> but she used to, it's very biblical, she used to call me my son in whom I am well pleased. <laughs> That's nice. Like the, 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 the biblical term, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. like I went, I went to Cambridge and I remember yeah. it being absolute like catnip for her. Oh, she was yeah. like going, because my son's gone to Cambridge, he's basically, if you live in sort of a quite a nice, you know, we're living in quite a middle class area at that time, but it's it's like, it's the ultimate, it's like, my mum couldn't say fuck you to other mums. Yeah, yeah. But she could go, you know, my son's in Cambridge. How you doing? <laughs> it's like, it felt like it was a real, a real sort of bragging thing. And I felt like when I was there, like, have I done this for me or for, mm. for them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a sense of like, I remember when, when she died, that sense of kind of freedom of going, well, what do I want to do? What mm. crazy shit do I want to get up to? So you, were, um, well, you weren't doing stand up before she died. I was, I'd, I'd, I think I'd done my first gig before oh, she died. I think okay. I did my first gig. Uh, so yeah, it was kind of, it was, there was an overlap period of a lot of stuff going on. I yeah. sort of, I'd started that, gave up my job, moved back in with her and then she promptly died. Maybe it's just too much. <laughs> yeah, son. The, the, too much to have me at home. The, the son coming back <clears throat> home. But so she knew that that was kind of something that you wanted to do. Yeah, and she was very approving of me leaving my job. Wow. Uh, of like going, yeah, just fuck it. Fuck it, it's boring. Those people are boring people. Don't do that, it's boring. Uh, yeah, it's like, I think she... Uh, I think she would have approved of how, of how things worked out. I mean, I think she'd... Uh, she had a, a magnificent turn of phrase... She would like, like, if you ever sort of said, oh, you look nice, she'd go, I look like a whore at a christening. Oh. <laughs> right then. Nice. Like, I've always had, like, an interesting relationship with uh, with swearing because, mm. like, it was not, like, the C word in our house was was just, just meant, yeah, good one. Yeah. Not, not anything. Yeah, like, there was yeah. no sense of it being, uh, uh, you know, a huge taboo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, my dad swore all the time and my mum and I swear all the time and I'm writing a book and my editor just said to me, there's quite a lot of swearing in it. And I was like looking at it and thought, that's just how I speak. I say fucking that much. <laughs> like, Yeah, I had to, I literally, when I, when I, um, when I wrote my book last year, this experience of the um, <clears throat> my friend Amanda Baker, who's like um, a comedian, she's like a director. She mm. sort of helps me direct comedy shows, and she sort of helped me with a book, like of going, look, you know. So she read it and kind of went, yeah, you've said motherfucker too many times. <laughs> so we well, like, and we kind of did a check all, and it was like twelve times. So I went, okay, we'll have four. Yeah, yeah, twelve is twelve but feels t- like it, Quentin Tarantino levels. Four it's is a, like it's a, a turn com- of phrase yeah. I use all the time. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't like the phrase stepdad. I prefer to say motherfucker. Um, <laughs> How was it with your brother, with him being so much younger? Did you, were you able to talk about both your different griefs? Because obviously he would have grieved so completely differently, you know, from the point of view of um, a child's grief. Did you feel like you kind of had to step up in that way? It's an interesting thing when you're going through grief and the loss of your mother to feel like, not as bad for me, mm. definitely not as bad. Yeah. So there was, there was almost a sense of guilt associated with grief because you kind of went... Yeah, I've lost my mum, but I'm 25 and I'm doing my own thing. And, yeah, got yeah. That, and this poor kid is 
has got nothing now. And she was such a warm, you know, it's it's that phrase of like, home isn't uh, a place, it's a person. Mm. And my mother was my home. And so when she died, I was like, you know, you're rudderless. You don't have a home. You're mm. like, just, I don't know where to go. I don't know. There's no, there's no warmth. There's, there's nothing. And for him was so much worse. That's funny. It was a quote. I read years ago, um, I think it's from Life of Pi, and it said, when you lose your father, you lose your, which it's a very sexist quote, but I quite like it. Um, when you lose your father, you lose your greatest teacher, but when you lose your mother, the sun goes out of your sky. And I thought, oh, that was really just sort of, yeah. I yeah, I think you could, I, I don't think that is necessarily sexist. I think you could switch that round depending on your family. Yeah, dynamic. yeah, true, I true. I think it's like, I think for some people, their father is the is the light of their life yeah, and yeah, is yeah. the is the sunshine and... I think it tends to be that way with with like parents where you have one that is like the vibes mm. and one that's the s- solid state. Like in couples, you often have that thing of like you go one is that the, and they both have like they're both incredibly valuable and great. But there's there's one that's got the um, what I like to call the shining. My mother had <laughs> my mother had the shining. Yeah, she had that thing. She was incredibly charismatic. Yeah, and. And it, yeah, yeah, the lights sort of went off. Mm. Yeah, I remember talking to Robert Webb. Um, his mum died when he was fifteen on on Griefcast, and and he was saying similar thing of like, "There's normally... you made it sound like she died on Griefcast, like you did a live episode. <laughs> God, Even we did I a live episode and she died at the hospice. Um, yeah, he was saying normally there is one parent who you kind of hold, it's holding it together. And my mum always says yeah. to me, my mum always says, "You're lucky he went, not me, because." he wouldn't have handled it and I was like yeah I know that like I I kind of lost the parent who was very charismatic and like you knew he was in the room but my god he he would not have been capable of sorting children out like we would have been you know <laughs> very much looking after ourselves yeah I, I think we're still feeling the ripples mm. 21 years later we're yeah. still we're still like in a uh we we never recovered I mean it just shattered everything yeah so I don't really have you know f- family now i've got my i've got uh i've got two brothers and that's that's kind of it and it's uh it's it's a weird thing when you i've just become a father for the first time yeah, and you're, yeah. you become acutely aware that it can it can not work out it can you know things can go things can go bad have you found that i definitely found when i had my first child my daughter about five years ago now that it brought a lot of stuff back because you suddenly step up to that next level of like, oh, I've entered the level of parent on the computer game. And now I start seeing them from a completely different point of view. Yeah, I think so. I think it made me value my mother even more. Mm. You know, it made me, she used to sing, you know, God Only Knows by the yeah, Beach Boys. Yeah, yeah. She used to kind of murder that. And, <laughs> and, sort of, and, and basically so her thing was, where would I be without you? She would always sort of say, where would I be without you? Oh. Uh, and I it wasn't until I sort of sat down to write the book that I kind of thought of the the, the double edge of that of like mm. the going where would I be without you? You mean everything to me, but also what a life I would have had if I hadn't had kids. If mm. it had gone another way, mm. I, I could I, I could have done so much more. Mm. And I I really felt acutely the sacrifice that she made for her boys uh, yeah. when when I had my kid and when you you sort of see you know ultimately she you know was a was a single mother i mean you know, ultimately kind of took care of us herself and was mm. um was amazing yeah it's it it really does bring it into kind of you know obviously you you remember it and you remember those little things of like what it melt, meant to have your your back rubbed in that way yeah. or what it meant when you were sick to be rocked in that way and you find yourself 
doing the same things, mm. holding your child in the way that you were held and c- connecting to that. Yeah, I found it hard when my, like, I would hear other parents be, you know, if something came up and a parent would be like, you know, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, I'm never going to go anywhere, don't worry. And I'd hear another parent say that to a child and I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, hope. <laughs> it's like, obviously you don't say that at the playground. But that for me was a real, like, yeah. I, I couldn't say that to her. I couldn't say I'm never going to go anywhere because I was like, he can't promise these things. Like, that's how it felt to me was, but I've tried to sort of just say, I'm here. <laughs> like, I don't like not comfort. <laughs> I'm like, learn kid, people die, grow up, do the dishes. Um, I just try and go far. Yeah. I'm here because it is... It, I, it is an interesting thing. It's mm. like, I, I would, um, I think there's a very strong argument to say that all religion exists because it's just too difficult to explain death to kids. <laughs> I don't know. I may, may, yeah, maybe they're up in a cloud looking down on us. Sure, sure, sure. Let's go with that. Yeah, there she is up in the clouds. It's cloudy today. Yes, there's loads of her there today. Great. Yeah. Anyway, you've stopped crying. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can understand. There's a, there's a, a, a nice logic to that. So you said it was the um, twenty-one years. Do you? Are you someone? Well, twenty years. Yeah. Twenty, 20 years. years. Are you someone yeah. who marks <clears throat> anniversaries, or you, you try not to? Everyone's so different. Or is it something you try and make sure, like on the day you do something? Um, I don't really mark it. I mean, I'll, yeah, I sort of, I mean, I think of her often, mm-hmm. but it's like that thing of like, I don't sort of lean, I have done in the past, like really leaned into it. I remember we, um, she was a big fan of Jeff Buckley. She oh, was, you know, um, uh, oh God. Grace, <laughs> you don't have to Grace, know someone who's died and that still <clears throat> makes you cry. Like, well, like she was a big, I like uh, that. Hallelujah became a hit like way after yeah, that. Yeah. It was like years, years later, but like we, we, she loved Leonard Cohen. And so we knew the original song and I remember like Hall- that album, Grace playing that a lot and that played at her funeral or whatever. And I always think like when I occasionally I will like, you, you sort of, I suppose it feels kind of self-indulgent, but sometimes I like stick that on and have mm. a listen and have a cry and think about her. But you know, increasingly rarely, I suppose. And there's a there's a, almost kind of a guilt associated with that about like, do I think about her enough? Mm. Do I? And it's it's that thing of and I go back to that Warren Zevon thing of like keep me in your heart for a while when you're just kind of hanging around the house, you know, doing your thing. Think about her mm. and talk about her. It's a really beautiful thing to do this uh, podcast. I would say it's really feels like a real privilege because I think most people don't get to sit and chat about their friend that died and their mum that died for an hour and remember them. And it feels like this is a sort of virtual lighting of a candle. This yeah. feels like a really beautiful thing to do. And I'm I'm struck by in the moment how much she would have liked this. <laughs> oh, I hope so, Nora. I hope so. I think that's the thing, isn't it? And why why whenever someone says to me oh well why do you think people listen to the show and I'm like because no one fucking allows people to talk about dead people (laughs) like no one just goes hey tell me about them what were they like and so the fact that you know there is a place you can do that it's like because you said we're so bad with death these days and we hide it and then when it comes up and someone says oh you know my mum's side everyone's like "Uh, uh," change subject make a joke move on um yeah it's a privilege to be able to it's interesting those those things of like the phrases I always like I'm sorry for your trouble mm. I think it's a great phrase yeah I but like, like that what do you you know grief is the price we pay for love like those little cliches the reason that they're cliches I think is because everything extraneous has been burnt away and just that hardcore of the truth remains like I'm sorry for your trouble it's like there's so few words and it's like ah oh, that that pretty much does it yeah. we could say you know you could be more verbose but that does it uh, grief is the price we pay for love yeah that's some fucking wisdom right there 
Of course you're upset. You fucking loved him. Yeah. Of course. And then that thing, I remember that thing that um, Neil Brennan, one of my best friends, he's just a wonderful man. He's, he's uh, a friend of his died and he was at the funeral and he had a profound thought, which is just, I hope they had fun. <laughs> and I just think it's kind of the nice, so I was thinking that with Sean, I was just going, I hope he had fun. Yeah. I think he did. <laughs> he seemed I like he, he did. I think he did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He certainly left a lot of fun lying around. Yeah. Yeah. There's evidence yeah. of fun. There's evidence of fun. I think that's a lovely, lovely way to think about it, isn't it? I hope they, I just hope they had fun. And, you know, I've talked, again, I've talked about the show before because obviously I have, it's been going a while, but like my dad was... All right, well, I think you should have invited me on sooner. We could have, we could have done all the firsts. Oh, that's we've never true. spoken about never, this before. I've never had the But yeah, like my... My dad. What? Was... Someone else's mum has died. What? <laughs> this is some bullshit. I thought I was the. It's an exclusive. Don't worry, Jimmy. You're the fa- you're the first. It's never happened before. You're a total exclusive of mum dying. It's, it's definitely it's you. Well, it? it is. It is often. I mean, it, it, that speaks to kind of a more profound point of going. Your grief sometimes you don't know how to express it, and it mm. does feel a bit. Or you kind of go. I guess everyone goes through this. It's like it's like when you have a child. You go. It's so profound and, and beautiful and mm. incredible to you. But you go, ah, I guess other people have done this as well. Yeah, uh, That's the closest I've ever felt to the grief um, I had after my dad died was after the, I, the birth of my daughter because it just felt so familiar. I quoted, um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a beautiful quote about becoming a parent where it's like having a medical procedure where your heart now lives outside your body. Yeah. And... I kind of feel like grief's a bit like that, but kind of not. It's 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 like, oh, what's happening to my heart? Yeah, it's missing. It doesn't feel great. Like, and I, yeah. I, yeah, it's like absence versus presence. So with death, it's the absence, a space is missing. And with when a new life comes, when you have a kid, there's this new presence that you have to like maneuver around, literally sometimes physically in a bed, being like, how do I share this bed with this person? And I think with death, as people say, you know, you're left with this hole, a piece of you is missing and you do feel like the wind could like rush right through you. And it's about, yeah, you know, allowing your life to grow around that hole and still give yourself the space to, to miss them and feel sad. And like you said, I think that's nice to keep them in your heart. Have you ever done a grief cast playlist? Because I'm, I'm, I'm struck by the songs that like Warren Zevon's Keep Me In Your Heart For A While is yeah. a great grieving song. Like if you're listening to this and you're going through grief, I'd recommend you stick that on. Bit of Warren Zevon, yeah. Keep Me In Your Heart For A While. I'd recommend Death Cab For Cutie. Oh, yeah, I Will yeah, Follow yeah. You Into The Dark, okay. which is just a beautiful song, especially if there's a bit of Catholicism involved. <laughs> There's a, there's a brilliant song called um, Beggars and Kings. Mm. I'm trying to think of the artist. Um, it's, it's Beggars and Kings all seem the same when it's over, buried beneath the ground on a rainy day. Beggars and Kings all have to get older, whether they lose or win, whether the wind blows kindly, whether the rain gets in, whether they're sons or lovers, beggars or kings. Oh. It's like a beautiful song about we're all the same in this. Yeah. We all die. Yeah. I think a playlist is not a bad idea. I think I tweeted about one before, but and because um, I was really into the stick, it, stick one on. Yeah, let's do, I was going to say, let's be, do it. It'd be a really nice thing to. There's create, a Canadian curate. singer called Bazia Boule who. Um, oh, I don't know. Oh, she's amazing, and she has a song. I'm not quite clear what happened to her, but it's a song basically when five became four, um, and it's obviously about you know death, and it's so beautiful. Or she lost a finger. Oh, she lost a finger. In a tragic uh, loom she accident. Joined, she, jo- she, uh, she joined the Yakuza in Japan. 
You've really misinterpreted that oh, song. Oh, God, how awful. Don't listen to it, guys. Go what, what's, it, what's it called? One oh, five become four. Something like that is I. You know I'm terrible. I only remember the uh, one lyric, not the name of the song. But I'll we'll put this in the show notes. We'll put the song. I'm, I will do a Spotify playlist. But I will caveat that when I tweet about it, I think you it, should. I really uh, because it's that thing of like that's <clears> how certainly uh, for 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 me on this show that's how I connect to yeah. crying and to really feeling that emotion is through those songs. Mm. So I mean, you know, remember that that Hallelujah being played oh, at my mother's funeral yeah. and that meaning meaning the world to me mm. and. You know that those things of like those songs that like I suppose it's that kind of funeral mix is that yeah. classic old story about it was it was um, a lot of people have Bohemian Rhapsody played at their funeral and obviously people used to play it on a CD oh yeah and the next the next song on Queen's greatest hits after Bohemian Rhapsody is another one bites the dust <laughs> so often so often at funerals you have this really poignant beautiful moment of Bohemian Rhapsody playing out and then another no one, one bites the dust. And like, another one okay. gone. Oh my God. That's incredible. Yeah, I tweeted about it because I was trying to say, like, I was after griefy music, like that kind of, like you said, Death Cab for Cutie. And then lots of people started tweeting, but it was like, I, you know, obviously it was imp- it was precious to them, but it was like funny songs they'd had at funerals. I was like, no, guys, I'm after the sad yeah. stuff, not like, oh, we played another one I think bites it's the like- dust. Yeah, it can't, I think it can't be something that's like meant, like for suggestions, I think it can't be something that meant something to you and yes. it's like your family song. No, no, it needs it to could be, be griefy It could be music. Ra- Wham Rap. We played <laughs> Wham Rap, but like that's only works for you. I did a song recently, actually. I, I weirdly had a part in a song because my, my friend Johnny McDaid writes with Ed Sheeran. Wow. And Johnny was coming, Johnny came round and was like going, oh, what's the, he was playing me Ed's new album over the last over lockdown over the last year and a half like everything they were working on he was sort of playing me the songs and what do you think and what you know what do you think of that and he played me a song because ed did a song years ago called supermarket flowers which is a beautiful song about death and the death of his mother and and he wrote the sequel to that which is called visiting hours which is about how i wish there was visiting hours in heaven and johnny played played me the song like and i went i was like just in a puddle like Mm. oh my god so beautiful so i'm i do backing vocals on the song (laughs) weirdly oh my god because i said i said i really like it and he went oh i'll put you on it because then you can have a prs check and it's like you know just just a fun thing to do so it's me and kylie minogue on the backing vocals but that's that's I'm sorry, it. it's if you, you and Kylie got... Minogue on the backing vocals of Ed Sheeran's song. That's incredible. I know, but you know what? My mum would have loved that. I was that. just about to say, I bet she would, Nora would have loved that. And she would have known who Kylie yeah. was as well. Do you know, that still would have been in her reference house. So that would have been, Ed Sheeran would have been yeah. this new young fan. I often think actually she would have loved Ed Sheeran above all. I think she would have really connected to that, that thing of like his, his kind of, his songwriting, his whole persona just... She would have like every time I see him, I sort of go, "Oh, I wish my mum had lived to see you. She yeah. would have fucking loved you." But that, that's it's a that's a night. visiting hours is a good and and supermarket flowers is a is a, a heartbreaker. I think we've got like five songs there for the for this the playlist. This is it. We'll, we'll, we can, I'm going to do it. Start strong. I'm going to do yeah. We'll start strong and then I tell you what. We'll like if anyone suggests them, we both have to approve. <laughs> we'll be like the the um, curators well, like, of the I playlist. I do think I think there's there's something like to the good there because sometimes like especially i think there's a there's a a strange side to masculinity where people Mm. can't connect to their feelings Mm. and i think i don't care how savage a beast you are i think those five songs in a row please (laughs) but you you'll be able to don't worry about the tears they're in the post (laughs) i love it you get like the world's most masculine strongest man just put headphones on him and be like 
press play once and just watch as the tears start <laughs> collecting in his eyes by five he's, he's gonna break he's gonna break I think you're right it's it's important to allow that and I, I know what you mean the guilt of like oh do I think about them enough but it's so important to to just allow yourself when it is there you know when the, when the feelings are there to just feel them and not judge them and not put a value on yeah. them oh I, it's been... I think it's a really it's a really special thing it's like when, I, when it does strike me when you hear something on the radio and or sometimes I'll do that drive kind of in South, sort of towards guys in St Thomas's sort of opposite yeah, Parliament, the yeah. hospital where she died and I'll really reconnect with it and I'll kind of want it to last longer mm. it's like it's like quicksilver it's like that grief because the waves of grief that sort of cliche of the waves get less frequent yeah. you know initially it's a fucking tsunami and then and now it's like you go oh I'd love to be I'd love to feel a bit more of that I'd yeah. love to feel connected to her again in that way it feels like it's a it's a you don't just lose them you sort of lose the grief it sort of fades mm. slightly over time and there's a sadness to that yeah it's all it's uh, there's an amazing um grief psychotherapist Julia Samuel don't if you know her she wrote an amazing book called grief works and you know she says she was like it's all it's always another loss you know now you're losing your grief now you're losing the memory of them and it's not you know it's not terrible it's not unrecoverable from but it's like you have to acknowledge that is another loss that I've lost mm. the grief that I don't remember them in the same way that it's not as raw as it was and they're just these losses that we that's what life is made up as these gains and these losses and when you can see it like that I think it becomes a bit easier but as you said when you're in the first year and it's just like you said like you're just in the sea and you're just getting tossed around and you're like this is fucking awful when will it end but when I'm the same I'm like 20 plus years when you're there you're like it comes yeah once two years I think I get a wave now maybe and um, and it's always a bit of a like oh oh right as opposed to oh here we go again so that's what I offer a yeah. lot on the show of like however bad you feel now it, it will get easier I mean you know hopefully it won't take 20, mm. <laughs> 20 years um Jimmy yeah. thank you so much for talking to me it was such an honor I, I, I I've got to say it's it's uh it's been an absolute delight oh, it's good. such a, a privileged lovely thing to do I would encourage anyone that's listening to this that's going through it that's you know has something find someone find your Carrie Ad Lloyd and have a chat for an hour about someone that you love and you know stay on the topic of grief I think it's a real it's a catharsis it's been a lovely piece of sort of therapy for me I've been thinking about it a lot recently in the build-up it's a gift it's a beautiful gift I, I really do thank you oh Jimmy thank you so much and I was really to remember Sean who we obviously so recently lost and to remember Nora as well it was wonderful I feel like they were both here that was lovely thank you all right. Well, let's do that playlist. <laughs> you can follow Jimmy on Twitter at Jimmy Carr. That's Jimmy Carr. His book, Before and Laughter, is available to buy now and his Netflix special is coming out very soon. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Griefcast. The show was recorded remotely from my living room and somewhere in Jimmy's house. Uh, it was edited by Kate Holland. The music was provided by The Glue Ensemble. Artwork by Jade Perkin. And remember, you are not alone. And the Spotify playlist, Griefcast, is available on Spotify. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 